The following sermon was recorded live at Foundation Church of Fredericksburg in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia. Well, good morning, friends. We can uh, find our way to our seats. It's good to be with you. Please grab your Bibles and open to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, there is, we're beginning a new sermon series in Jeremiah uh, and making a few other pit stops along the way through the epistles of John and through uh, Genesis this year. Um, there is out there by the worship guides a schedule, um, a proposed schedule, if the Lord, uh, you know, tarries um, and, you know, man, man lays his plans. But uh, this would be important for you to grab, stick in your Bible, and read along with us. The idea behind giving you a schedule is so that during the week leading up to Sunday, you could be in the Word with us. You can pray through in uh, learn along together, and in a lot of ways that will maximize the profit of your gathering here on Sunday because you've already been immersed and saturated in the Bible, in the text, and, uh, and it makes my job just that much easier so I can kind of depend and make some assumptions that we've been tracking together a little bit through the week. Uh, so this is, this is a tool for you. You can see we're going to be in Jeremiah really through the rest of the year and into next year a little bit, but we'll be taking breaks along the way through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, through Genesis for four weeks in a row. Uh, we'll be in, uh, in the wisdom literature and the, minor, and the major prophets during the summer. So lots of stuff to get through, lots of Bible this year. So grab this, stick it in your Bible. Grab two of them if you want one in your Bible and one at your desk at home or something like that or in your car so you can follow along. But that's, that's a resource for you to do that. That being said, I want to begin with prayer um, for, you know, notice we have many people who are sick this morning. Uh, my family, uh, Jake and Amy, some of the boys, some of Josh's family. Um, anybody else particular? The girl's okay? Abby, I saw Abby earlier, so she's okay. Okay. Any, any other particular people that are sick or ill that I can pray for? I can remember. Okay. Mandolin. Oh, yes. Sorry. Mandolin. She had COVID. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, and obviously, um, Cameron woke up with a little something, too. So many families sick. So let's just pray for them, and then um, we'll go to God's Word. Father, thank you for uh, the, the opportunity and the privilege to gather, to sing, to worship, to study, and to hear from your Word, to be encouraged by one another. So much of what makes this this morning important for us is the physical gathering and the joining together. And so we remember those who are not able to come, who because of sicknesses or exhaustion or work has left them unable to be here. God, we ask that you would encourage them in their faith, uh, allow them to rest and uh, recover from their sicknesses. May those who are taking care of those who are sick be encouraged to be patient and uh, compassionate in their service, depending on you for your care as they care for others. Would we pray that we would be able to love those who are sick and care for those 
who need our attention and our support. But ultimately, Lord, we, we look to you either in sickness or in health, when things are going well or things are going poorly, and we confess our trust in you and ask God that you would continue to guide us and lead us as a church for your glory. We pray for our time now this morning that our hearts and our minds would be attentive to your word. We would be led by your spirit to heed its instruction and to walk faithfully in obedience to it as we cast now our gaze upon Christ as you speak to us through the prophet Jeremiah. We love you, Lord, and we pray as always in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin by reading Jeremiah chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim the son of Josiah, the, son, the king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, Lord, God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. And then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be set loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all of its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall, against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we study Jeremiah this year for several reasons. I want to give you three. We study the, Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah this year because the book of Jeremiah is a window into the heart of God. We see the story, not necessarily chronologically, but we see the story in the ministry of this prophet, Jeremiah, who passionately is called to preach to the nations. And he preaches both judgment and mercy. This is a window into God's heart because Jeremiah, more than any other prophet in the Bible, gives us a picture of the passion and the zeal, but also the difficulty and the lament that comes from the heart of God for his people. Jeremiah, I believe, best embodies the heart of God in his ministry to God's people. And so by studying Jeremiah, we begin to see a window into God's own heart, his care and concern for his people today. For he who loved Israel in the time of their wandering and their disobedience is the same who loves us in our own. So the words that Jeremiah preaches to Judah, the southern tribe there, and to the nations about their own judgment and their need for repentance and the mercy of God offered to them is a warning and an offer to us as well. So we, in Jeremiah, we see a window in the heart of God. Secondly, we study Jeremiah this year because the themes, as well as the historical example of Jeremiah himself, are instructive for us. They can teach us as Christians who are increasingly finding ourselves at odds with the world. We find ourselves increasingly at odds with the world because there is a world growing in hostility against the Lord and His ways and His purposes. The more you speak up for your faith, for the gospel, for Christ, the more you will begin to become aligned, misaligned, ostracized, maybe pitied. Increasingly hostile is the world now to Christianity. And this is the case even in Jeremiah's day. That Jeremiah often by himself alone stood for the Lord and was beaten, nearly killed for his words. Christians can look at the story of Jeremiah and see an example that instructs us how we can be bold. But lastly, we can study Jeremiah because for those who are struggling to live out their purpose as God's chosen people who are falling short of what God intended you to be, as Israel was, Jeremiah is a wake-up call to the reality of God's judgment and God's disapproval of sin. But it's also a call as a reminder to his willingness to rebuke and to discipline and to tear down those he loves so that he might build us back up again. The warning here in the book of Jeremiah serves to offer a chance for repentance and restoration to God. To be restored to the fellowship that God's people have with the Lord. So we study Jeremiah for those three reasons. A window into God's heart, 
to be instructed by the example of Jeremiah as he faces persecutions and to be encouraged by the call of Jeremiah to those who are struggling to live out their purpose as God's chosen people. That God's word would rebuke and tear down so that we might be restored again. So as we study Jeremiah this year, let me give you three additional things to be mindful of, to look for or to read for, to listen for as we study. Pay close attention to God's sovereignty in the book of Jeremiah. It has a lot to do with the political goings-on of the world around them, the moving of nations, of Egypt, of Babylon, of Assyria, of Israel into captivity, of Judah faltering before their captivity, lots of nations and political intrigue, and yet God is the central figure above all these other characters. It is God who sovereignly brings about all things that happen to God's people. The captivity of Israel, God did it. The warning from Jeremiah of the impending captivity to Judah, it's God's warning. God who ultimately brings it about. It is He who has caused Assyria's own strength to diminish so that Egypt and Babylon can vie for position of strength. It will be God and His sovereignty who allows the Babylonian captivity to overtake Jerusalem. God's sovereignty is woven all throughout the book of Jeremiah. Let us pay close attention to a God who sovereignly works in the midst of hard and difficult circumstances. Secondly, let us look and listen for the reality and the centrality of God's Word in Jeremiah. In fact, this is probably the most important element of the whole book. Jeremiah is a prophet, and to be a prophet means that you are a mouthpiece for God. It is God's Word that Jeremiah declares, not his own, not another, not a summary, It is God's very word. A prophet was to speak what God commands. And his word is the effective power behind the change that Judah is called to obey. So look for God's sovereignty. Look for the centrality of God's word. But ultimately look for God's mercy. Jeremiah is a book Repetition of judgment. Warnings after warnings after warnings, judgment after judgment, repentance, warning, judgment. But God's mercy stands behind his judgment through Jeremiah as an offer of grace and restoration. Ultimately, we will get to in chapters 31 and 32 this promise of the new covenant in which all things are restored. Even the book, which ends with the Babylonian captivity of Judah, speaks to God's justice on those who would overtake Jerusalem and to God's ultimate victory over his enemies and the restoration of God's people. So look for God's sovereignty in the pages of Jeremiah. Look for the centrality of God's word in the ministry of Jeremiah and pay close attention to the work of God's mercy in the life of His people throughout Jeremiah. In fact, we can sum up a working message of Jeremiah this way. The message of Jeremiah is that God is committed to His people 
and he faithfully works by his word to establish his people in our salvation. God is committed to his people and faithfully works by his word to establish us in our salvation through pain and promise, through judgment and salvation, through discipline and direction. God works with both hands to direct and establish his people because he is committed, covenantally committed to us. And so through his word, he establishes us in our salvation through pain, promise, judgment and salvation, discipline and direction. Let's say just a brief overview of where we'll be over the next year. Let's turn our attention to chapter 1 specifically. The chapter 1 serves really as a proper introduction to the entire book or scroll of Jeremiah. And like any good introduction, it sets out to answer a few basic questions about its author. Namely, who was Jeremiah? What was his message? Why should we care? That's a good introduction. Who was Jeremiah? What was his message? And why should we care? And this first chapter lays out the credentials of Jeremiah as a prophet of God, so that throughout the rest of the book, the reader or the listener will understand that the trouble and the rejection that Jeremiah runs into as he obeys and submits to God's calling on his life is really the story of the tragic rebellion and the hard-heartedness of God's people against their king. Jeremiah is called to be a prophet to the nations, both to Judah and to those who would overtake him, so that we could see in the rejection and rebellion against God's word, the hard-heartedness of his people against him, and the mercy that is offered anyway. This introduction also puts forward the major themes that will be touched on throughout Jeremiah's ministry and the rest of the book, themes like judgment, like sin, like discipline, like wrath, but also themes like mercy and restoration and renewal and hope and justice. So this is an introduction. We'll look at it in four parts. His context, his calling, his commission, and his confidence. Jeremiah's context, Jeremiah's calling, Jeremiah's commission, Jeremiah's confidence. The chapter begins in the first three verses with a bit of factual, contextual information. These are the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. He lists several other kings as well, all the way, it says, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month of the reign of Zedekiah. Now truthfully, Jeremiah's ministry in the book continues beyond the fall of Jerusalem to Babylonian captivity. But here he simply means to say that my ministry was in the middle of these times. Jeremiah is from a priestly family. He understands the importance of God's word and law. 
particularly as it relates to worship and how central the worship of God's people is to the covenant, which in Jeremiah's days would have been vastly deteriorated. It says that the word of the Lord came to him during the reign of Josiah. This would be around 627 B.C. Now, Josiah was the last righteous king of the southern tribe of Judah. Now, if you want your background, go to 2 Kings, starting somewhere in chapter 20 and read through the end of that book. You get the picture of the king of Josiah. Several bad kings before Josiah, but Josiah was known for his reformation. He began to tear down the idolatries in the worship places given towards Baal and other false gods and to restore worship in Judah. Now Israel at this point had already fallen about a hundred years ago to Assyrian captivity. So the writings on the wall for Judah, the southern kingdom, and Jeremiah here is warning that the same fate that Israel fell to awaits Judah lest they change their ways. Josiah famously finds a copy of God's word in the temple and thus begins a long series of reformation and renewals centered around the word. And this is where Jeremiah's called. This is the sort of cultural, theological, religious milieu of, of Jeremiah's calling in his ministry. Beginning in a time of revival and reformation, but as soon as Josiah dies, things go from good to bad, and his children really begin the downward spiral and put the final nails in the coffin, as it were, for Judah, all the way to Zedekiah and to the Babylonian captivity. So he was called during this reign of Josiah. And you notice that there's several conversations going on behind the scenes about the shifting political tides. As I mentioned, Assyria had already taken over and conquered the northern tribes of Israel, the ten tribes that had land in the north. And Assyria at that time was the dominant cultural political power, but they had begun to lose that power and their strength after the falling of their capital city, Nineveh, in and around 612 B.C., and of course, whenever there's a superpower who loses its strength or its standing, there's a power vacuum in the area, and now there are some other countries who are vying for that place, namely Egypt from the south and Babylon from the north. They saw the weakness of this major rival and began to exploit it, and they began to grow in strength. So those in Judah are looking and assuming that Enemies will either come from the north or they'll come from the south. And now they're beginning to hedge their bets. In fact, there's a small contingency within Judah that says, we actually need to align ourselves with Egypt. We're going to place our bets that they'll be the stronger superpower and will protect us from the, Babylon, the Babylonians if they get stronger. Which was not a good bet. That did not work out. And Egypt fell to the Babylonians. So there's several shifting political tides going on. And in the midst of all this, Jeremiah is prophesying something to the tune of over 40 years through all of these shifts and changes, all the way through the fall of Judah. In other words, we could say that these were pretty bleak times for God's people. 
with very little political national identity, wandering through idolatry, looking back at the good old days, wondering how they would get there, and yet imbibing in sin, rejecting God's word, ignoring his commands. And despite all of this going on, Jeremiah's ministry focuses on a theological truth that must be clear through the midst of all of this, that God's word abides over God's people. And for Israel, as God's people, to be restored to their glory, God's word must once again reign over the hearts and the minds of his people. In Josiah's Reformation, it was the word of the Lord which fueled and powered the growth and the restoration of God's people. It will only be so that way again. So in the context of Jeremiah's ministry, we see very dark political times, but a focus on the word of God as the power and the source for real, true renewal. In the midst of judgment and political chaos, God's word stands as a beacon of hope for God's people to find once again their relationship restored. This goes from the third person to the first person in the next part in chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. From his context, we see a closer look at his calling in verses 4 through 9. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before... You were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now notice that God sets apart Jeremiah by birth, or from birth, before birth, from the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. This is set apart for a particular purpose, that he may use Jeremiah for his ends. Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now the knowing of the Lord there in verse 5, when he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is a committed kind of knowing. This is not God simply in his omniscience knowing that Jeremiah would exist, but as a personal, relational, committed knowing in the sense of, I know you. Not simply that I know Norm's name, but I know Norm. And in my knowing, I express my commitment. That's the work that's going on behind God's knowing of Jeremiah. God knows Jeremiah because he is committed to Jeremiah. The word really can be translated acknowledged as a special privilege and place in God's redemptive purposes. This is a declaration that God makes in knowing, just knowing Jeremiah to be committed to sustaining him through grace through what will be a very difficult ministry. So the knowing... And the committing of God is a very important aspect of Jeremiah's relationship to God. It will be very important as Jeremiah faces difficulties in his ministry. That God is committed through sustaining grace to Jeremiah in his ministry. And so though Jeremiah has in mind here his specific calling, 
in his specific consecration as a prophet. But friends, you may be familiar that the Bible uses the same language to describe God's calling on our lives. That is, before our lives began, God had chose us in Him. We are Christians. God has and had a purpose for each one of our lives that He intends to fulfill, purposed and planned before you were formed in the womb of your mother. Psalm 139 puts it this way, For you formed my inward parts, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You see already the beginning of God's sovereignty displayed through the life and the work of Jeremiah. Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So in the picture of Jeremiah's calling, we see very clearly a glimpse of how God works in our own calling. That he knows us even before he created us in the womb. That, in other words, we could say we have existed in the mind of God before there was ever a molecule which made up our bodies. What comfort then can we draw from the fact that God's sovereign election and creation of His people is not simply a random choice or a random assignment to a certain set of parents in a certain family in a certain town at a certain time, but is a full and rich relationship with Him. He created us with us in mind. This relationship in which we are deeply loved by God who forms us in the womb. We are graciously kept by God. We are mercifully preserved by God. Friends, maybe you need to be reminded of that truth today that He created you and He knows you even before you were formed in your mom's womb. And that knowing is a commitment on God's behalf to sustain you as He has promised to sustain Jeremiah in his ministry. That sustaining doesn't mean that you get everything you ever want or that life goes well for you at every turn, that you're lucky, you'll find your lucky penny, that you'll be rich, your job will be successful. None of that's promised. But God's promise is that because He knows you and has formed you, you are His and He is committed to you. Well, Jeremiah's objection to this, as only a young man's objection could be, was that he was only a youth. He says, I don't know how to speak, in verse 6. I, I'm not the right guy. You've got, you've got to get somebody else for this. It sounds a bit, of course, like Moses. Well, Jeremiah, of course, was young, younger than Moses was at the time as he was called. 
but he feels inexperienced. He feels like he's not a suitable candidate for what God's calling him to do, for the job that he was asked to do. And though it might be sincere and well-meaning, God will have none of it. What does he say? He says, don't say that. It's the same God which sets him apart for this very purpose was already planning to equip him for that calling. He says, Jeremiah, don't worry about it. I will equip you. And so he says there in verse 7, Do not say that I am only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So there in verse 7, God grants Jeremiah both obedience necessary to the call, his appointment as a prophet of the nations requires obedience to fulfill that, and authority. You will go where I send and you will say what I command. You will speak for me. And therefore, verse 8, do not be afraid, for I am with you and will deliver you. So Jeremiah's prophet, calling as a prophet is going to require a great deal of faith. It's going to require a great deal of trust in God. But the assurance of God's blessing here won't be enough to confront his wayward people in any warring nations. In fact, Jeremiah will need a tool. He will need God's word. And so he says, to whom I send you, you will go and whatever you command, you shall speak. Whatever I command, you shall speak. So he arms Jeremiah with the word, equips him with what is necessary to go and to fulfill his calling, despite the fact that Jeremiah inevitably lacks the features he deems necessary. But the simple fact for this, brothers and sisters, is that God equips those he calls. If he has called you to himself or called you and appointed you to a ministry, has called you to the place in life where you're at, he has not left you ill-equipped to fulfill that calling. Just consider the current ministry that you've been assigned to, whether you're a mother or a father, a husband, a wife, whether you're a teacher or a student, whatever the ministry may be, and it is a ministry, consider that although you may feel at times inadequate for the job, and if you're a parent, you feel inadequate for the job so often. Though you may feel inadequate for the job, God's Word demonstrates the comforting truth that if He leads you to a task that requires your faithfulness and your obedience to fulfill it, He will supply it Himself. So consider your ministry. Consider your own calling. Maybe you have friends or family members who are not Christians, and yet you find yourself often opposed to these worldviews around you. That's a particular calling in ministry with which God promises to equip you and supply you with divine strength and aid that you may fulfill it. You say, like Jeremiah says, I don't know how to speak. I don't know what to say. Well, this doesn't mean you go and take the apologetics course. It means you trust in the Lord to give you the words necessary for your faithfulness. So Jeremiah's calling requires faith that the Lord supplies. So his context is one in political upheaval and chaos, and his calling comes in the midst of speaking God's word to such chaos. 
But in verse 10, we see the specific commission given to him. He says, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See that I have set you this day over the nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, break down, destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So what does the work of Jeremiah's prophetic ministry amount to? It amounts to the work of the word. The word which was put in Jeremiah's mouth is the central theme of Jeremiah's ministry. Nothing else. Nothing more, nothing less. It is the work of the word. Jeremiah knows the power of God's word and the reforming and the restoration of God's people. And it is God now who gives him his word so that he may work towards the restoration of God's people. Preach and warn prophetically with the word of God. This is the true source and power and effectiveness of Jeremiah's ministry. The only sure path toward wisdom and hope and restoration and renewal and peace for God's people is the revealed Word of God. Psalm 1 tells us that blessed is the man who does not sit, stand, or walk in the counsel of the wicked, but whose delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And there he prospers and flourishes. The only source of true righteousness and wisdom, hope, renewal, restoration, peace with God is the path laid by the Word. Psalm 119 tells us that the Word is a lamp unto our path and a light to our feet. The only way we walk faithfully toward God in righteousness is according to the Word. And so, though he says, I have put you over nations and over kingdoms there in verse 10. What God is really saying to Jeremiah is that his word will be over nations and over kingdoms. And notice then what the word does. It plucks up and breaks down. It destroys and it overthrows. That is, the word has in it the natural ability to confront and rebuke the lives and the hearts of those who would hear it. It's the confronting and rebuking nature of the Word of God that tears down the strongholds, the idolatries, the misgivings, the failures, the sins, and overcomes resistance to His will. The Word is meant to break that kind of thing down. This is why the author of Hebrews says, you know this verse, Hebrews 4.12, that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, of discerning the thoughts and of tensions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So notice that the word of God is meant to go forth and to cut like a blade, quicken to the heart, and expose the sin and idolatry and to tear it down. That's what the word is meant to do if Jeremiah faithfully preaches. But of course, there's another outcome of the work of the word. There at the end of verse 10, to build and to plant. So Jeremiah has set with the word of God over kingdoms and nations to pluck up, that is to, to uproot, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, but also to build and to plant. This is not all destruction, but this is restoration. To build and to plant. But friends, first we must be uprooted before we can be planted. We must first be broken and torn down by God's word before it can rebuild us. The strongholds, and the fortresses that our hearts in their idolatry have gained and built against the Lord 
must be first broken down by the Word before the Word can do the work of building and planting us. Another prophet, Hosea, puts it this way in chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. He says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us that He may heal us. And He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. After two days He will revive us, and on the third day He will raise us up, that we may live before Him. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. He is, his going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Friends, let the Word do the work. As it confronts you, let it tear down the idolatries, the factories in your life that raise up and erect these walls against Him. Let it poke holes in your arguments and justifications for why you should sin. Let it do the work of hurt and pain. Let it destroy. Let it root out the weeds so that it can plant the flourishing work of the Spirit that you can be built more faithfully into the temple of the Lord. So Jeremiah's commission was to speak the word and for the word to do its work. Lastly, consider Jeremiah's confidence. Verses 11 through 19, there's a second section here, which is really just a parallel of this first section. But there's a greater emphasis here on the heart of Jeremiah's message, what he's really speaking. You see that Jeremiah receives two visions from the Lord. In verse 11 and 12, we see that he has one vision, in 13 through 17, he receives another. And these two visions have the purpose of allowing Jeremiah not simply to understand what he needs to say, but to solidify in Jeremiah's mind and heart for the sake of his ministry, the commitment and the divine interest of God for his work. In other words, he wants Jeremiah to understand that God is invested in what he is doing. God will see the work through. Just as He has promised to be with Him, so He does so again. So the first vision in 11 and 12 depicts this cane or a branch from an almond tree. And the word for almond in Hebrew, what you need to know about this, is that it sounds a lot like the word watching. In fact, so much so that the almond tree is often called a watching tree because it's often the first to bloom in spring and watch over the others. And so God here is really employing a play on words. When he says, what do you see? And Jeremiah says, an almond branch. He says, that's right. For I am watching over my word to perform it. So God employs this play on words to declare his commitment to this work. Or in other words, God says that he will ensure that his promises will come about and that Jeremiah must be faithful to preach just as God intends. Really, he's telling Jeremiah not to fool with the message that he received from the Lord. Listen to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55. He says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and the bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth 
It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is what God says there. I am watching over my word to perform it. The word, when it goes out, does not return empty. It will accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed the thing for which I sent it. So God shows that he's committed to the work of his word as Jeremiah preaches it. But the second vision is of a pot which is tipping over full of boiling water. And the pot, it says, is facing away from the north. In other words, its scorching contents are being poured out over the south, namely there to Judah. So this vision confirms for Jeremiah that the threat against Judah will not come from the south, their Egypt, but from the north, namely Babylon. But notice here the important thing is not that Babylon will be the one who takes siege, but that the nation will lay siege against Jerusalem simply as the contents of the pot, but the Lord himself is the one who sanctions it. It is God who tips over the pot. It is God whose judgment is set loose on Jerusalem. Notice it says in verse 16, that I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. And so when he says in verse 15, I'm calling all the tribes of the kingdom of the north, and they shall come against everyone, against the city and the gates of Jerusalem, he says in 16 that I am declaring my judgments for their evil in forsaking me. So it's not so much that Babylon is the enemy, but that Judah has made God their enemy in their rejection and rebellion and idolatry against him. The one to fear is not the armies of the north, but God's wrath on God's people if they are cut off from the covenant. Why? Because their hearts had forsaken him, had turned from the covenant. They have committed idolatry. In fact, we see in Jeremiah that it gets much worse than what's simply mentioned here, that children themselves are sacrificed in false worship. So Jeremiah's confidence isn't in himself. It comes from the certainty of God's word and God's commitment to it, even as he disciplines his people. So in verses 18 and 19 then, Jeremiah is strengthened by the word. He becomes this fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against all the people of the land, even against the nations who will fight against them, cannot prevail for, God says, I am with you. You have my words in your mouth. You will be delivered by them. So ultimately it is the presence of God that forms the solid ground on which Jeremiah stands as he preaches confidently the word. What do we take from a passage like this? Well, the historical example of God sending Jeremiah to Judah and to the nations, armed with his word, I think is meant to be for us a solemn reminder that we too will answer to God. Because the truth is, despite what we may learn or have in common with Jeremiah, we are not Jeremiah. No, we are Judah. We have received and rejected in our hearts when we sin God's word. 
And we need God's Word to confront us so that we may hear its offer of restoration, repent, and be restored. At times we may feel like a prophet. We may feel like Jeremiah, needing to confront and rebuke others with the Word of God. And I pray for that prophetic ministry in your life as you're called to that. But it would be a mistake to assume that we must identify ourselves here with the prophet and not with the ones to whom the prophet is sent. We will stand before God. God's people, covenant people, were suffering under the justice and the wrath, not of a false God, and not of a warring army, but under God's own authority and discipline first. Jeremiah's book is a warning to God's people, to you and I this morning, to heed that we would turn from the wickedness of our ways, that we would trust in God's word, which not only corrects us in our sin, but lays out the path for righteousness that we may follow it. And as he has called us, so has he equipped us to walk and obey in that calling. Warnings are meant to be heeded. Just last night, my son who's three has a bad habit of throwing hard toys, really anything. Sometimes it's for fun. Sometimes because he's got a rocket, he knows he can hit what he aimed for. And last night, I had to correct him multiple times. Now the first time he throws it, Cohen, we do not throw hard toys. They hurt. Okay, Dad. Could you not? Five minutes later, toy comes across the room. Cohen, do not do it again. I've already told you once. Okay. He does it again. This time I put him in the corner, in the little timeout corner we have in the room. You have to sit there. How, how long do you need to sit there? Three minutes. Okay. Alexa, three minute time. This is a parenting tip. I don't know. Well, that's what I do. I don't know if it's a tip. Well, he gets out. He does okay for a while, but for the next 10 minutes, here comes a magnet, cross, Cohen, you do it again, there's going to be a bigger consequence. Back in time out. Okay, Dad. Next, he throws a book at Brittany's face. Okay. The warnings have been issued. The warnings have been ignored. I pick him up. I say, buddy, we got to go to your room. Daddy's got to give you a spanking. Okay, Dad. Handed it like a champ. I didn't want to do it. I said it, and I had to do it. I gave him two spankings. He stopped. Now, we'll see about today. He is three, after all. But unfortunately for him, the warnings came, and he ignored them, and ultimately the discipline had to come. Unfortunately for Judah, the warnings came, from Jeremiah, and they ignored him, and discipline came. God put them under captivity, the Babylonians. But the warning comes to you today, and you still have time to hear it. Now, you may have faced from one sense or another the discipline of the Lord. Even as Christians, God disciplines those he loves. But for some of us, we may need to heed the warning lest real judgment and discipline is visited upon us, and it's too late. The hope of restoration will one day, the offer of grace will one day be revoked from us if we continue in rejection against it. 
Even as Christians whose hope is secure in Christ, we may find ourselves under the discipline of God if we continue to not heed the warnings of His Word. That's why the Word exists. Even in the Old Testament, we have warnings and a picture of what God desires for our life that we may heed them. And when we don't, we heap judgment upon ourselves. It may not be covenant condemnation. For praise God in Christ, as Josh read this morning, those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. But that does not mean you are free from judgment or discipline. And so our hope must not be in ourselves. It's not to be in favorable political outcomes. It needs to be in the mercy of God whose word not only warns us of his coming judgment, but in the spirit of God who frees us and offers us his salvation through the word. That's where our hope must be. Jeremiah warns us so that we may heed the warning and turn in faith towards salvation. Of course, all of this comes to Jesus. Jesus, of course, comes like a prophet, like Jeremiah. He preaches warning. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's warning his followers, those who would hear him, to repent of their sins, to listen, to turn from their unrighteousness. He both warns and offers salvation. But unlike Jeremiah, Jesus himself will take on the judgment that he warns comes. Jesus himself says that the judgment that is for you, I'll take myself. You must see me for who I am, the Son of God. And you must know that God's wrath comes to all those who persist in rebellion against him. And yet if you look to me, the greater and truer prophet, and I take on your judgment for you, you will have salvation. Those to whom Jesus was sent is the ones for whom he will ultimately die. The renewal and the restoration that Jeremiah speaks of and the prophecies, prophecies of, the, of the new covenant, this is ultimately accomplished by Christ. He comes as a prophet to warn us of judgment, but also to take that judgment upon himself so that we would receive salvation. What Jeremiah warns of, Jesus receives. Where Jeremiah promises, Jesus secures. So friends, it's for you and I to heed the warning, to look to the cross of Christ on which all the judgment of God against sin is poured out, like the boiling pot against Judah, the wrath of God on Christ, so that the warning heeded would lead to faith. Judgment averted, Salvation received. Let's pray. Father, we ask, God, that we would have faith to hear the warning of your word, however it comes to us, through Sunday morning, through reading in quiet time, through a counsel of a friend. But God, your word is the only source that is truly able to lead us to righteousness. Your source your revelation, Lord, shows us our sin. It shows us our need of grace. It tears down the stronghold and the idolatry and points us to Jesus. And the judgment we deserved 
Christ himself takes. So we pray for those who hear the warning this morning and have not yet turned to Christ, that you would so work in their heart to repent of their sin, to not wait until things are worse, to not trust in favorable outcomes that they can create for themselves, but know that the most favorable outcome for their life has already been secured in the death of Christ, that they would cling to that as their only hope so that they may return to you, live out the purpose for which you've called them for your glory through the praise of Jesus. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name as always. Amen. All sermons are released under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivative 3.0 license. If you would like to learn more or listen to past sermons, please visit us at foundationfxbg.com. the show